Welcome nerd. Are you ready to launch 102nd expedition into nerdum? Priming hyperdrive. Warning premature launch imminent. Warning launch control failure. Warning hyperdrive launching warning warning warning. Nerd the systems are operational. Bitchin music still active. However the engines are not. I promise premature launching never happens. Location data currently unknown, engine repairs process beginning. To pass the time I will now begin loading the best horror films of the decade, launching in, 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, well, not really because we're pre-recorded right now. Exactly. <laughs> we're recording this the week before Christmas. Uh, we're taking the next couple weeks off, but we wanted to make sure that we had something to drop. You know, Absolutely. both of the weeks, so there's a little something, hmm. you know, for people to listen to. People who we're always care. caring about you guys. Yes, right. the listener, <laughs> or we're just neurotic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so and the, we thought this would actually this episode would be a good like little teaser for our Patreon. Exactly, that should be happening somewhere early on mm-hmm. this year, 2020. So hopefully, everyone had a great holiday. Fantastic New Year's, um, but yeah, so this episode, what are we doing, Christian? Uh, we're going to be talking the 10 best horror movies over the last decade. That's right, so, and man, this was difficult. Um, I like, I mean, I rewrote my list at least five times, so, and there's a lot, I mean, we almost expanded to 20 at one mm-hmm. point, or at least I almost expanded to 20, <laughs> but we're just doing a top 10. Um, I think we're going to save a, the top 10 just movies of the decade for our Patreon. Yes. So if you like what you hear now, you can go ahead, hopefully, you know, at some point after this episode comes out and subscribe to the Patreon. Exactly. And if, I mean, if there's any other top 10s you want us to do, let us know. Yes. Yes. So we're bringing the power to you. So, okay. Before we start our little micro episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Support for The Amazing Nerd Show comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up, untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. So this past birthday, my wife picked me up the Manscaped 2.0. Um, you get to be middle-aged, you start looking like a Wookiee down there. Let me tell you, it changed our lives, Christian. Well, that's why this revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The lawnmower 2.0 comes inside the Perfect Package 2.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut-free, and smelly nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer on your face that you use on your balls. That's just gross. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0 also includes a crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and a moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, fellas, your balls do stink. Hey, speaking of sweaty and stinky balls, I'm thankful for the Crop Reviver. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keep 
your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The perfect package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs. They'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those used pair of boxers to Manscaped's high-performance anti-chafing boxer briefs. Tis the season of Manscaped, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and your friends the best gift of all. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Right now, you get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. And you can check that out on the link below. Your balls will thank you. That's right, fellas. Get 20% off and free shipping using the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Ho, ho, ho. Before we start this list, make sure that you're subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform. And hell, while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. Let's get to the countdown. So like I said at the top of the show, it was really difficult putting together this list. What started off as really actually a slow mm-hmm. like decade for horror ended up being one of I think one of the best decades ever, you know, for the genre. Um, it seems like from like 2014 on, it's just been fucking nonstop. Um, movies that I would actually put on like my best of all time list at this point. So I mean, we saw the rise of like art house horror, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and then. Just, I mean, the return of a lot of, like, popular franchises. It's just been a, a renaissance for horror in general over the last, you know, especially the last five years. Yes. Now, what what the hell do you call this decade? <laughs> like, is, I mean, it, is it, it's not the teens, right? I've always heard it's the 2010s. The 2010s? That's about it. That just feels so lazy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, last decade was the aughts, right? The aughts? I've yes. never heard that. No, I'm pretty sure it's the aughts. Look sure. it up. Uh, well, well, <laughs> we, we said we're going to limit our Googling during this episode. <laughs> but I think it's the aughts. But, like, I, yeah, this decade, I have no idea. So Either way, you'll definitely see, especially with my picks, you'll definitely see where I kind of got back into horror. Because, like, there's definitely at the beginning of that decade, of this decade in general, mm-hmm. I was like... And do I really do I really care to go to the theater that often? Mm-hmm. And I was a lot younger, so it was kind of harder too. But <laughs> well, it, it, you know there there just weren't that many offerings. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know the major studios kind of started backing away from horror. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of like the mid to late nineties. You know until like Scream hit it big, where it was just like almost a drought horror wise. But then all of a sudden, like like I said, 2014 mm-hmm. came around and we started getting like, you know, major horror classics getting pumped out. You know, not just from the major studios, though. A lot of it was like, you know, small independent films, you know, and fil- films from overseas. So a lot of our lists will reflect that. Um, but without further ado, let's get into our countdown. Number 10. All right, Christian, you get to go first. Yes, for my number 10, I actually picked a sequel, which would be Ouija, Origin of Evil. It talks about being in the dark with the others. Voiceless, cold, insane. And it talks about the other things in the dark. Things that were never human. Things that were taking him over. You were right. 
what you said about this house. Good bones. All right, in 1967, Los Angeles, a widowed mother and her daughters add a new stunt to bolster their seance scam business by inviting an evil presence into their home, not realizing how dangerous it is. Uh, now, my, my number 10 and my number 9 were both films where it was kind of like, I, I, did, I was kind of dragged to the theater to see these because the first one, like the first Ouija film felt so... Just generic and boring yes. for me. I agree. It's um, very like by numbers. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the actress Lulu just blew me away mm-hmm. completely. And I feel like what they did with uh, Ouija the second film, Ouija uh, Origin of Evil. I don't, I don't like the name, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> it's a little too wordy. Yes. <laughs> but a good film. I agree no, with no, you. No, absolutely. I, I love the family dynamic. I loved the way the mom, like, didn't like the mom's being this fake psychic and she doesn't believe that her daughter has these abilities and it kind of t- turns and twists because she wants you know connection to her husband and everything it, it all worked very well and it was definitely a surprise to see compared to the first film and it kind of got me back into this mood of okay what does horror have to offer if if directors are taking things a little bit more seriously going forward yeah and you know it's the first time that mike flanagan actually got on my radar um so yeah no i mean it was surprising you know it it doesn't happen very often where a sequel's better than the original Mm -hmm. film so um yeah i agree 100 percent. it was definitely on my top 20 yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so my number 10 is a film called kill list you talking about before he comes back just want to say thank you for what I understand you have to do what you have to do Nearly a year after a botched job, a hitman takes a new assignment with the promise of a big payoff for three killings. What starts off as an easy task soon unravels, sending the killer into the heart of darkness. Alright, and this is directed by Ben Wheatley and written by Ben Wheatley. Uh, this is just a genre-bending, slow burn of a film, um, that's just, like, this great mix of, like, crime and family drama, um, with, like, a dash of the Wicker Man thrown in, um, for good measure. It was just really well-crafted, um, and had me, like, on the edge of my seat the entire time. There's so much, like, atmosphere that it feels like it's gonna, like, literally, like, suffocate you. At moments, um, I don't know what the fuck this movie's about. <laughs> that's and that's what I kind of like about it. It's super like complex in its nature. Mm. Um, you've got like characters talking about philosophy and just you know, it, it, like it's the kind of movie where you can watch multiple times and get like a different meaning, like every single time. 
So I, that I I really dig that about this movie. Um, and once again, I, I go back to like the fact that it, you know it's you know left up to the viewer. It has that like you know free interpretation that just you know for me as you know a, a film lover that's so important. I was really like spellbounded by like the performances where like what was happening to the characters actually affected me. Um, so it was just a great character piece. Gotcha. Um, so I definitely recommend it for people mm. who have not seen it. I feel like that's what a lot of the movies on this list really, like, if it affected me in some way, that's how it gets, you know, noticed, you know? And that's what great horror does, mm. so. Number nine. My number nine was Annabelle Creation. Twelve years after the tragic death of the little girl, a doll maker and his wife welcome a nun and several girls from a shuttered orphanage into their home, where they become the target of the doll maker's possessed creation, Annabelle. Uh, this was another one that really took me by surprise. You know, I, I went in with very low expectations. Not that the first one was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was just, it wasn't up to par. Like, I like a lot of the elements of the first one where, you know, he, the, what's it called? The, not the, not the nanny, but the friend that kind of helps watch them over and the kind of the concept of, you know, the doll taking one life or another. But what they did in this one, where the possession over the girl and everything like that, she kills it. Again, it was Lulu Wilson that was killing it. Uh, the film was done by David F. Uh, Sandberg uh, and written by Gary Doberman uh, based off his characters from the first one. Yeah, and he does a lot of like the Conjuring verse mm-hmm. like, movies at this point. I believe he also did The Nun. Um, yeah, no, I agree too. Is, the first one was okay. It was just kind of there. But the second one definitely upped the ante and made me want to see more of like the whole Annabelle like pre- premise and everything. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I really did enjoy this movie also. No, I think this was the first time where I really saw the potential for the entire franchise of Conjuring as a whole. Because, I mean, I do believe that Conjuring 1, 2, and whatever they do next mm-hmm. is gonna was going to be something interesting. This was the first time where I was like, oh, they're going to they're gonna marvel this, really. They're going to, like, really build upon this yeah. world. Yeah, like there's a whole Conjuring verse exactly. now. It's a thing. <laughs> so um, I think that's, like, the really the first, like, horror Mm -hmm. like franchise like universe you know if you think about it besides obviously universal monsters but i mean what they're doing you know here it's pretty novel Mm -hmm. so um but yeah no i really i i remember when they announced you know annabelle 2 i was like really like the first (laughs) one wasn't that good yeah because it was like soon after Mm -hmm. um and I was almost expecting to be like straight to like DVD or something like that, but that wasn't the case. And I, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. No, I think they've really built up because I feel like in the Conjuring verse in general, they've really built up Annabelle very well mm-hmm. as a character. And something even with which I think the last movie was, eh, uh, even with that, mm-hmm. she is still such a huge staple to this universe that they built. So I, I, 
I do enjoy what they're doing. I love. I'm still kind of. I still kind of love what they did at the end of this one, where they actually tie it right into the first film. Yeah. No, mm. I thought that was well done. I know some people kind of shit on that, but I actually like that too. I mean, yeah, so. they did, they did look a little different, but yeah, <laughs> Fine, it whatever. happens. <laughs> <laughs> it builds upon the universe and it makes it more interesting. Yes, yes, and you know what? It really both of your picks, you know, number ten and number nine, were, really give me hope and like you know for sequels. Mm-hmm. You know, when the first one's not so great. Um, you know, I'm giving the, the, the franchise, if you will, like a second chance where before I'd be like, no, nah, I'm not going to watch that. So, I mean, it just shows you if you get the right creator behind it. You know, exactly. The sky's the limit. So, all right. My number nine pick is the cabin in the woods. I mean, my bears, huh? Let's get this party started. friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargained for discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods uh this is directed by drew goddard and uh written by drew goddard and joss whedon uh so this actually was shelved for like a year or two i believe which is crazy to think um and I remember going to the theater and just marveling at this, like, love letter that, you know, Godard and, like, Whedon had crafted, you know, for, to horror fans, basically. Um, it, it really is just, you know, horror movie making, like, meta horror movie making done right. Um, it takes everything that, you know, happened after Scream, you know, where everything became fucking meta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, said, no, you know what, we're going to do the opposite. Um, I really just love like how much of a, like a dark, dark comedy it really is. Um, and it just truly understands its audience. Um, you know, it's just 120 minutes of pure pleasure and it has like Josh Whedon's like fingerprints all over. It's just his style of comedy and everything, you know, from the performances and everything like that. Um, you know, and it really just, I mean you don't know what to expect and when you start you know kind of figuring things out you know they twist it even more Mm -hmm. so um i love going back and watching this film and like seeing all the little nods to all the other great horror films you know and it's like one of those movies where you can rewatch and you know catch things that you didn't see on like the during the first viewing so um yeah no and i feel like like of late it's been kind of forgotten about I actually had to look this up to make sure that it actually happened, like, over the last, like, 10 years. You know, I was like, was this before 2010? And I think maybe because it was, and I'll have to double check this, it might have actually, like, you know, been in the can before 2010 where it sat on the shelf, you know, for a couple years before it was actually released. I can see that. So, which is weird because it's such a damn Mm. good movie. The studios at the time, for some reason, just couldn't figure out how to market horror movies. It's like, just make good ones. That's all you have to fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> just make good movies. 
and people will show up. Mm. Well, I'm, speaking of marketing, I mean, the marketing for that film in general kept you completely in the dark. Mm-hmm. And like at the time, I wasn't going to the theater to see horror movies. I was still like in high school. So <laughs> way to make me feel old, Christian. <laughs> So, like, it quickly became something of, like, legend. Like, oh, you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods? You have to go fucking see Cabin in the Woods. I had no idea what the fuck this movie was about. Would you consider yourself, like, a hardcore horror movie fan before you saw this movie? Um, I no, definitely. Okay. Not as much. Like, I was watching horror movies, but I wouldn't say I was, like, actively, like, going out of my way to see everything. So, like, after watching this movie and becoming more of a horror mm. movie fan, like, did you like go back and like enjoy and catch more of the references and everything like that that it was making? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, because like for me, like part of the joy is like catching all the references and everything mm-hmm. like that, what they're doing and the little nods. But like you know, for someone who's like just starting, you know, into the like horror movie fandom, you know, I always wonder like, would you necessarily enjoy it the same? But apparently, <laughs> you did. No, but like in general, I feel like the film, even without knowing most of the references. Is an enjoyable film. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's Josh Whedon completely written all over it. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm a huge, like, Buffy fan and Angel mm-hmm. fan. So, like, right from the start, you know, I was totally hooked. Um, just, I mean, the fucking unicorn, you know, <laughs> like, all that stuff just works, you know, and still does. Number eight. For my number eight, I have It Chapter One. I should get going now. Oh. Without your boat? You don't want to lose it, Georgie. Bill's gonna kill you. Here. Take it. Take it, Georgie. In the summer of 1989, a group of bullied kids band together to destroy a shape-shifting monster which disguises itself as a clown and preys on the children of Derry. Their small main and preys on the children of Derry. For me, um, it was like the TV show version of it. You know, it was scary. It was it was definitely like something different. It always. Uh, whenever you think about clowns it always comes back to pennywise mm-hmm. in that generation and everything and um seeing this come out seeing a you know modern take of it and everything um seeing how far they were willing to go with the violence and the gruesomeness of the film really you know put me into this mindscape of like okay now i want to see what horror directors will do these days with these kinds of old projects i mean it's gonna happen no matter what they're going to make remakes. They're yeah. gonna do, but if they take it this seriously, if they, you know, really kind of not, I wouldn't say reinvent, but reinvigorate mm-hmm. these characters that were such like horrifying icons, I'm totally down for it. And that's what this kind of film did for me at this point. Um, I think Bill Skarsgård, you know, knocked it way out of the park. Great performance. Absolutely. Uh, this was directed by Andy Muschietti. Uh, and written by Chase Palmer and Corey, God, Funkin' Naga. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Stephen King. 
and Stephen <laughs> King, of course. Yes. Um, were you a fan of the original miniseries? I would say I was an, uh, an observer. <laughs> an observer? What does the fuck? I wouldn't say I... What does that mean? <laughs> there's a lot of it that, like, while I did enjoy watching it, there's a lot of it that, like, I think for me just didn't sit right or didn't play well. When did you see it? How were you younger when you saw it? Were exactly. You I was, I was, the first time I think I saw it, I was definitely younger. It was just on TV. Okay. So that probably didn't sit well. And then as older, you know. When you say doesn't sit well, you mean like you found it like horrifying or like you thought it was like cheesy? That's what I'm trying to pick up on. I think it's, it's both for both generations. Like I was terrified as a kid, um, more cheesy as an adult. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. And I, I feel like with the original miniseries, mm-hmm. it's like a tale of two halves. You know, that, you know, day one, you know, the first part of the miniseries was fantastic. And I think the second part, almost like the, you know, two films we got, <laughs> um, you know, was a lot less, you know, lackluster, if you will. So um, I totally get it. Uh, and I like I saw it when it first aired. You know, so I don't know how it's aged, mm-hmm. you know, and for someone, you know, who's younger, um, you know, from a different generation, you know, I don't know if it ages well at all. So, um, but yeah, no, I love the original. Um, so when they announced this, I was terrified they were going to fuck it up. Um, but man, I mean, Skarsgård, like fantastic performance. Exactly. Really. I mean, I, the fact that he's mm. trying to fill in the shoes of Tim Curry, who, you know, it, just an iconic performance. I mean, and he knocks it out of the park with this movie. I mean, that's a daunting task, mm-hmm. you know, and he hit it out of the fucking park. So that says a lot, you know. Uh, and not even just the performances, but like on a technical level, they, the visuals in the first film are so well done. Like, I remember the um, the slide projector scene where he comes out huge out of the slides yes. and everything that looks so good yeah and it really like that's what was such a detriment to the second film is like they just decided to cgi everything mm-hmm. to the max and it just Ooh, didn't work way too much cgi way too much it's like they got the money to do it and they just decided hey let's just pump it out and i think the you know the original miniseries is kind of like hampered by the fact that it was on tv it's mm-hmm. on broadcast exactly. tv where like to see this story fucking, you know, unhinged, balls to the walls, you know, and you're literally seeing fucking Pennywise rip Georgie's arm off. I mean, it, I mean, it was, it was kind of like you're taken aback <laughs> by it at first, you know, because I'm used to it being kind of watered down because I'm used to watching like, you know, more of the, you know, safer version, mm-hmm. you know, of this story, you know, from the, the early 90s. It, it made me wonder, like, what if um, directors had gotten a hand on doing uh, it on film rather than on TV you know, back in the 80s and 90s instead, you know? Like, what could they have done? Like, think of, like, Pet Cemetery level if they got mm-hmm. to it, you know? Oh, like, or, like, if, like, Wes Craven got his hand Exactly. On it. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between, like, Pennywise and, like, Freddy Krueger. You know, what could have a director, like, you know, like, like even uh, John Carpenter could have done with a character like, you know, Pennywise. So, no, I agree 100%. You know, and not, once again, I do enjoy the series. Yes. It's just that second <laughs> part that, you know, 
just when they're fighting that giant spider that <laughs> just completely throws giant me. very fake spider yes very fake so it doesn't age well at all you know and i remember even at the time watching it as like i think it was probably maybe 12 being like this is kind of lame you know, i want more pennywise <laughs> mm-hmm. so um but apparently that I, that wasn't true because with the second film you know this year that came out i, I wanted a lot less pennywise unfortunately so it was just a case of too much mm-hmm. Pennywise, where they overexposed the character. So, but anyway, it's not a review on you know, <laughs> chapter two. <laughs> All right, for my number eight pick, I chose A Quiet Place. post-apocalyptic world a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra sensitive hearing all right so uh this is directed by jim from the office (laughs) um john krasinski krasinski i think that's correct okay we're going with it i can never pronounce his last Mm. name um and it's written by brian woods uh scott beck and i believe uh, John also had a part in writing this too, mm-hmm. even though he's not credited here. Uh, this is just an incredibly like inventive horror film. Um, it, it was a film going experience. I don't think I've you know quite ever had um, before. It's it's really I mean I, just unforgettable. Like I the first fifteen minutes of this film just completely hooks you. Um, where you're like literally, you know, watching this family, you know, going through these painstaking, like, you know, this painstaking effort not to make sound where you start like trying to do the same as an audience member. Like, I remember like sitting there and like being scared to like reach for my like Coke because I didn't want to make noise. And like people in the audience were like muffling coughs and stuff. So, I mean, it was quite the experience. Even, like, there's a scene in the movie that's just a huge thing where, like, you realize that Emily Blunt's character is pregnant. And, like, the crowd audibly, like, gasps. But even that's muted. Like, the crowd was still, like, Mm -hmm. because you're so entrenched with what's going on, you know, with the setup. Um, I I just loved, you know, every second. It's such a great, like, premise. it's literally just like an hour and a half of anxiety. Um, you, at one point, they introduce this nail on the stairs. And <laughs> this nail becomes almost like a character in the film where, like, you know, things are happening, everything like that. And in the back of my head, it's like, oh, that fucking nail is sitting on the stairs. So every time they go, like, near the stairs, you start to, like, you know, like, gasp, like, oh, my God, what the fuck? You know, um, till finally, of course, someone steps on the goddamn nail. But it's just great storytelling and, you know, shows you, like, how much suspense can drive a story. Um, Fantastic performances. I mean, it's amazing, like, the emotions they're able to convey without talking at all. Um, And really, at, like, the core of the story, you know, the heart of the film is this wonderful, like, relationship between the father and the daughter and this, like, tension you know, that's grown between them, um, which just makes, like, 
the end of the film so fucking heartbreaking. Um, yeah, no, I I love this movie, and you know if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But I feel like everyone's seen this movie at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, think it's worth a theater experience because, as you said, like uh, I imagine being in that crowd where everyone's being hushed and everything, especially like getting speakers that are all around you. Because I watched it at home mm-hmm. and everything. I watched it just like in my bedroom with my shitty TV speakers. Uh-huh. So it's like it, I I don't feel like I got the same amount of tension as I probably would in the theaters, and I'm definitely gonna be seeing the sequel in theaters yeah i mean the sound design for exactly is amazing really i mean less is more and they've proved that mm-hmm. so number seven all right for my number seven i also had cabin in the woods um i not to you know go on it too much but um i did get that kind of separate experience than you did because at the time yeah, i was watching a ton of shitty horror movies and just kind of laughing at it all yeah and man. this was kind of like my way of you know getting that um you know, spin on everything, you know, finally seeing a twist and something with intrigue and interest and characters that were funny and, uh, clever, clever, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, tons of like, just looking at this film, uh, I, I, something I feel like I need to go back and watch one more time Mm -hmm. because I've only seen it a couple times, but you know, over time, as you've said, like, it's definitely like, there's more nods, there's more ties to everything. I know, like, the stuff on the board mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, do you feel like it was actually a good, like, gateway for you as, like, a horror movie fan? I would say uh, because they took it more seriously than most of what I was watching, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more, I was, like, looking for more things like this going That's forward. Funny that you say take it more seriously, where I feel like. <laughs> but, but no, I know what you mean. It's almost more of just the quality, the yes. overall quality of the film. That's what I'm I, I trying to convey, I guess, yeah. a little bit more. It's just like. Instead of it being, you know, just some stupid teenagers in a cabin mm-hmm. getting killed. Because that's, that's all I knew by the commercials. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, it, it was a bunch of actors I, I definitely didn't care about at the time either. Yeah. Future <laughs> Thor. Exactly. Crazy. <laughs> so it's definitely, uh, for both of us, I think it's definitely something you should watch and check out. Absolutely. All right. For my number seven pick, I chose The Witch. Thomas, take your children outside. What does this to me? What does this? His mouth is sealed up. Mm. Oh, God. William. William. Hold him. Children, away from this. Thomas, in hell. A family in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. So this is directed by Robert Eggers and written by Robert Eggers. Um, Robert Eggers is one of the directors that I'm most excited about to watch this coming decade. Um, He's, you know, for me right now, like, I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, he did the lighthouse, yes. which I haven't at this point have not seen, unfortunately. But like his name alone, you know, gets me excited when I see him attached to a project. So um, this movie is just visually stunning. It's just this slow burn film, which once again, you know, you can see a theme with a lot of my movies. Mm. I'm a huge fan of like those kind of like slow burn, well crafted movies. Uh, but yeah, no, it. It takes you on a hell of a ride um, as you watch this like fanatical, like religious family just devour itself from the inside. 
um, from the opening frame, you're like almost like overpowered with this like sense of dread. Um, and it lasts like the entire duration of the film. Um, and like, just like I said, with like Ayer's like, you know, visuals, it's also like the score that really helps like drive the mood. Um, I, I definitely could see this movie not being for everyone because it is such a slow burn film, but like, I just, something about it, man, like the atmosphere and everything like that. I mean, it's really like thick in this movie. Um, and it's kind of like, it's so beautifully like visually, like where you could just take it like any still of the film and like put it on your wall, um, you know, as a horror movie fan. I love how this film like crescendos, you know, especially at like the climax and everything where you're like, oh my God, what the fuck am I going to see next? Um, you know, to finally you get, like literally a talking goat so um you know i love black philip and so should you <laughs> <laughs> now i sound like a devil worshiper <laughs> but no it really he does take you up for a ride you know and it's so like well put together that like when you get to the end you're like at a fever pitch so um you know to the like you know to the final shot honestly so I, I you know i i really love the witch you need to see lighthouse man I know. I know, right? It makes no sense. And what's hilarious is you haven't seen The Witch. I know. And you've seen Lighthouse. It makes no sense. It just sounds like you're describing Hopefully, a very similar movie. Yeah. By the, t- by the time this episode actually drops, hopefully I'll actually have seen mm-hmm. Lighthouse because I think it comes on, it starts to stream shortly. Okay. So... Um, but yeah, yeah, I want to get, I want to at least see it before we do our like best of the year list. Exactly. <laughs> Number six. All right, for my number six, I have Insidious, chapter one. Your son isn't in a coma. Falling off a ladder had nothing to do with this. His physical body is here, but his spiritual body is not. And the reason these disturbances, they followed you to a new home, is because it's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. A family looks to prevent evil spirits from trapping their comatose child in a realm called the Further. Uh, at this point, I really started to pay attention to James Bond. Uh, for the, you know, I was always a big Saw fan, uh, you know. But at the same time, I watched those movies like everyone else. I watched it for the crazy kills and you know what what's happening next. You know what what crazy stunt could they pull off this time? While also, I was enjoying the villain that was being built throughout them. Mm-hmm. Um, this felt this was completely on the other spectrum, you know, the other side of the the show. You know what I'm saying? The way it's stylized, I don't know, drew me in with the characters and made me more invested in the family in general. Um, you know, seeing him go into the further and everything, the style, the darkness, everything about it is just so. While while I wouldn't want to be in that realm, I as a as a viewer. I was so much more drawn to it yes. than I would say with most horror films during this time. So I was just, I, I feel like this was really James, some of James Wan's best work in horror so far. His character design exactly. is off the charts, mm-hmm. you know, and they all kind of have this certain kind of like uniqueness and style to it, like you were saying. So like, I feel like if you show me like a character from a James Wan movie, I'll be able to recognize it right away as being such. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand what you're saying completely. I mean, you have to layer onto it more. It's just like, 
I don't know, it's the coloring in this film that really gets to me. Like the red of the demon and yes. uh, the blue of just the house in general. Everything when... really like pops. Exactly. Um, and I feel like that's what really, you know, brings it out more for me. Like I I can distinctly know like when like I, I think I was at a this is a weird story. I was at a um, club during Halloween, okay. and um, which they were playing horror movies on the screen randomly. Mm-hmm. And just like the opening shot, you could tell this is Insidious. Yes. You yes. know, this is a totally different feel than your average um, horror film. And I love the score of the film, too. Oh, yeah. The strings mm-hmm. that they have going like throughout that film and everything like that. Like It's super recognizable. And I, I mean, it, it really adds a lot to that movie and everything like that and the tension. Um, so I, I, it's just a well put together movie. Um, you know, it, I think he really expanded upon the promise of, uh, what he had with Dead Silence. I don't know if you ever saw that. I don't think I have. Um, it's a great movie. I definitely would check it out, but like it it has the same, it's very like stylized kind of like insidious and everything like that. It came out right after like Saw or Saw 2. Um, and it didn't do well in the box office, but I loved it. I was really disappointed that it didn't catch on more. So when I saw Insidious, I was like, okay, that this is what I wanted from like a sequel to like, you know, Dead Silence. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see more of this kind of style of filmmaking. And luckily for us, that's what we got. So, I mean, it really has been James Wan's like decade, honestly. Yes. If you look at it with everything <laughs> that we've got with like, I mean, how many sequels did we get with Insidious, good or bad? And then, I mean, with like the whole Conjuring, you know, universe, mm. you know, I mean, I, I, you've got to really trust him at this point. So, I mean, he's had, you know, not many misses. James Wan and Patrick Wilson. Yes. <laughs> Patrick Wilson's definitely his muse. Yes, that's a package deal. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, my number six pick is Jordan Peele's Us. But the shadow. She gave birth to a little monster. Hombre was born laughing. The girl had a second child, a boy this time. They had to cut her open and take her from her belly. The shadow had to do it all. Herself. She named him Pluto. He was born to love fire. So you see, the shadow hated the girl so much, for so long. Until one day, the shadow realized she was being tested by God. A family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. So I went back and forth whether or not I was going to choose us or get out. <laughs> um, it was really hard, but in the long run, I was like, I think, you know, us is going to be more rewatchable for me. I know at this point I've already like watched it more times than I've watched Get Out. Um, but, you know, I definitely, I mean, Jordan Peele as a filmmaker is another one of those like Robert Eggers and James Wan where, you know, if his name's attached to a project now, I'm going to be seeing that, you know. Um, this is just this weird fucking creepy ass tale um, that feels ironically enough like an extended like Twilight Zone episode. Um 
that like it, it and that's a good thing like mm-hmm. um jordan peele is this like incredibly like stylish filmmaker that um just brings like new creative lifeblood into the genre um you know he's giving us something that we haven't really seen before i mean tons of like social commentary um but you know not like it, he doesn't beat you over the head with it at the same time um you know it, it's this movie that's like this wonderful allegory about like classism and dualism and you know whatever ism you know you can think of but you know it's completely once again like it it's up to you as a viewer it's like you know free interpretation um it's the the kind of movie you can watch multiple times and you know really grab what you want like from it it's like meaning and what you know it's trying to convey as a story so um, I know on the second viewing, there were a lot of things that I didn't catch in, you know, with the first time I saw it. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily like a terrifying movie, mm-hmm. but, you know, it leaves you like, you know, at the end with just this like, I don't know, like unnerving feeling, if you will. We were like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> you know, where you kind of go through and just kind of like dissect scenes in the movie which i love you know i love a film where you can go and you can talk you know for hours about with you know someone else who's seen it so um you know just trying to figure out what peel's message really was with the movie and i love that like in his interviews like he he won't give you an inch you know so i i mean i really dig it and he's like what like i said he's you know someone that i'm excited to watch you know this this coming decade no absolutely the cinematography is still something i think about you know even even if it's just the shot of like the rabbits slowly Mm -hmm. you know coming into frame but i think the thing i think about the most about this film was the um ballerina scene yes Yes, when she's, you're talking about when you've got the two parallels mm-hmm. and everything, and you've got her in, like, the, the subway, you know, or the, I forget what they actually call, like, the universe, the underground universe. There was a word for it, but yes. we'll, we'll, we'll move off of that. <laughs> the tethers, you <laughs> yes. know, um, where she's doing this creepy fucking dance, mm-hmm. and, like, just how every, all the tether is, like, just they, they, the way they act and move and everything like that. Just, I mean, once again, creepy as fuck. <laughs> so, um, and Lupita, like, she's so fantastic in this movie. Um, you know, I really hope with, like, award season, she at least gets nominated or, you know, a nod or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know this happened. This came out in March. So a lot of times those movies kind of get forgotten about, like, by the time, you yeah. know, award season comes around. But, I mean, I really, like, I felt like, you know just her performance was super hypnotizing along with the fucking score the score also i mean is just really haunting i actually went home and like downloaded it right away (laughs) um so i i definitely recommend you know checking out us number five all right for my number five i have don't breathe cindy took my child away from me i thought she told me fair She'd give me a new one. She was pregnant with my baby. You killed them both. Well, they would be alive if you hadn't broken into my home. Oh, 
to be held accountable. Hoping to walk away with a massive fortune, a trio of thieves break into the house of a blind man who isn't as helpless as he seems. That's an understatement. <laughs> yes, he's a fucking badass. No, uh, this is one one of those characters I really got super into after the movie ended. I was like, oh, I, I want to see way more of this blind man fucking terrorizing people. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just them, just another group of strangers walking into his life, that's, that's all I really need. Give me a sequel, please. Yeah, no, <laughs> there is a sequel, actually. No, it's in the works, but you never know what development these days. Yeah, no, I. it was pretty popular, though. I think you're going to see it so sooner or later. Um, Jane Levy, again, was awesome in this film. Um, I want to see her get more work, but she hasn't really picked up as much as I thought she was. When this came out, I was like, oh, she's going to be the next like you know, uh, horror girl, pretty much, at this yeah, point. Yeah, Scream Queen, yeah. yeah. Um, she does awesome in this film. Um, I feel like it's just mostly um, what we find out about the character, you know, what he's been doing in his own house, like all the little twists that we got towards the end mm. really just keep this uh, film in my memory at all times. He just feels like the next big, for me, the next big like um, villain that we could possibly get, but I just haven't seen anything come from it yet. Yeah. I mean, it's only been a couple of years though, man. We'll get I guess. There. We'll it feels there. like it's been a while, I'd man. Have them take their time <laughs> and give us a quality sequel. I guess you know? maybe I'm getting too used to like film studios just popping these out every year. You yeah, know? but that's when you get shitty movies. So True. I'd rather have them take their time. Um, You're not wrong. So, but yeah, no, and like it's it's such a great experiment into suspense mm-hmm. too, because it's one of those movies where you kind of you know you're you're in it with you know, the victims. You're, like, in it with those characters and you kind of get lost in those scenes where you're like, oh, my God, what the fuck would I do in this situation, in this scenario? So I I definitely, you know, agree with you. Um, Mm. This was one of those films where I kind of debated back and forth. You know, it did make my original top ten and then I had to, like, kind of boost it down. (laughs) So it will get an honorable mention from me at least, so. And this movie was directed by Fede Alvarez, who did Evil Dead, and he's actually going to be, like, helming the next, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre project. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just producing, though, not directing. And Labyrinth. And Labyrinth. Oh, right. <laughs> Are we going to get, like, Jim Henson Muppets? I, I don't know what they're going to I hope so. If they're going to do Labyrinth, they mm-hmm. better give us some fucking Muppets. Especially after what we've seen recently uh, with that Netflix show that they brought back. Oh, Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal, yes. yes. That Netflix show. I couldn't remember the don't name of it. He smirched <laughs> the good name of Dark Crystal. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, for my number five pick, I chose The Babadook. His name is Mr. Babadook, and this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba-ba-ba-duk-duk-duk. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Ba-ba-ba-duk-duk-duk. We might read another one tonight, eh? But you said I could choose. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night. Mum, does it hurt the boy? Mum, does it live under the bed? Mum? Mummy! 
loveliness that lay at the bottom of the ocean. A single mother and her child falls into a deep well of paranoia when an eerie children's book titled Mr. Babadook manifests in their home. This is directed by Jennifer Kent and written by Jennifer Kent. All right, so if you're a new parent, stay the fuck away from this movie. Hell, even if you're thinking about having kids, stay the fuck away from this movie um jennifer kent like explores both like mental illness and grief in this like fantastic film um this mother and son like are barely keeping their heads above water um as we watch them go on this like downward like spiral um that blurs like reality completely um as a parent like you see her going and struggling with her child and you can't help but like relate to what's going on. And it's just this like complete, like helpless feeling, um, you know, like, you know, like you're terrified as a parent that, you know, what you're doing is somehow fucking up your child or, you know, everyone's had those moments where mm -hmm. you're like, Oh my God, will you please stop crying? You know, <laughs> um, you know, some more than others, but still this, this movie is nightmare fuel for parents. Um, you know, just that feeling of helplessness. Uh, it's just this beautiful, like, dark fairy tale um, that's just terrifying because, like, I think everyone has their own personal, like, Babadook that they have to, like, live with and keep at bay. And that's really what this movie is, you know, is this woman, like, struggling, you know, with these inner demons and, like, having to, like, you know, deal with this monster that's grief that's just completely consuming her life. Um, the performances are fantastic. Uh, it's ridiculous that Essie Davis didn't get nominated for something, you know, because as the mother, you totally like go on this journey with her and you just feel for her, um, you know, and just Jennifer Kent's like, you know, as a director, the choices that she makes, you know, and like her eye is just fantastic, you know, like the frames, the way that she like chose, you know, um, the visuals and everything like that and like the style that you know the scenes are shot in where they they are blurring reality literally um i just i mean it's something that you've never seen before it's like truly like innovative and different i think that's why the babadook like stands out for me like as one of the best horror movies of the decade number four all right for my number four i have get out you're so scared <sighs> you think it was your fault How do you feel now? I can't move. You can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Just like that day when you did nothing. You did nothing. Now, sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. A young African-American visits his white girlfriend's parents for a week for the weekend where his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling point. Who are who's writing these? <laughs> I don't know. It's Do you like some studio like intern <laughs> or IMDb just lets anyone write those. Oh, right? yeah, probably. Okay, that's why they're so <laughs> We need to start writing these. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be any better, but at least be our own words. Um. 
again, this is Jordan Peele's work, uh, written also by Jordan Peele. Uh, it's a rookie effort for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought this film was phenomenal uh, when I saw it. Uh, I, I enjoyed not only the designs of things, like the thing that stands out to me always is going to be the sunken place and how they did the visuals of sinking through his eyes. Because I actually, watching it, felt that. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt that falling and the dread of like my body is completely out of control and everything. Um, I, you know, other parts are kind of enjoyable. There, are, sometimes I laugh at like how the family is and stuff like that. And I do enjoy the comeuppance of uh, like him taking on this family afterwards. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, I, you know, it's it's that terrifying element of losing control. In that kind of scenario, it's like who doesn't who isn't scared of like meeting the parents? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. this is just like as extreme as that can get. That's true. Um, I I for that you know, and because it's more scary to me, that's why this always kind of gets that little bit of, of an edge over us for me. While I do love us completely, like I love all the visuals from that, this movie stands out a little bit more for me. Uh, just design and sound and everything. Yeah, like I said, I went back and forth on mm-hmm. it. Um, it has those different um, concepts of talking about race and different issues that are going on, but he doesn't like beat you too hard over the head with it. You know, it makes sense to the story. It's important and it it flows well. Yeah, and it, it resonates with the audience. Exactly. Um, his message is clear and you know it's timely, and that's what's important. You know, he's a filmmaker with something to actually say. You know. Um, he recognizes that horror can be a genre about something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just about you know cheap scares. So I, 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 I he he reminds me of like a modern day like George Romero in a way. So um, no, I agree hundred percent. No, I think that's what makes Candyman sound so exciting coming from Jordan Peele. Yes, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, a Jordan Peele like helmed Candyman. That's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. All right. So my number four pick is The Conjuring. What she made me do. Hey. Ed? Look what she made me do! Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. All right, and this is directed by James Wan, once again, who we've been talking a whole lot about, uh-huh. uh, and sh- written by Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes. What I love about this film is James Wan like takes a traditional like haunted house story and he like injects his own like personal style into it, and like turns a lot of those genre tropes like on its ear um you know he's all about like crafting like suspenseful like scenes and you know this is more of the same um a lot of the scenes like echo things from other movies that we've seen before Mm -hmm. but it's just the way he shoots it the way he builds that, like, you know, tension and that suspense, you know, through score, through performance, that really hooks you as, like, an audience member. Um, and it, it's just, like, it's relentless. It's nonstop, this movie. Um, and it, it's, once again, it comes back to, like, the performance quality. Like, the performance of everyone in this film is on a higher 
bar than like your standard like you know run of the mill like Amityville horror sequel type movie mm. um, that really you know hits it home and you know I was so excited for you know this film afterwards like I, I was like I can't want, wait to watch this movie again um, just because it clicked with me as because I, I love haunted house stories and it's been at that point it'd been a while since I'd seen a really good one so I was I was super excited when this ended and it made me want to go and kind of like rediscover that subgenre again so um, James Wan just gets horror, man. Absolutely. So, and I really enjoyed Conjuring Two. Conjuring Two almost made my list, also. So, I mean, he like develops these great characters, and like the Warrens. I mean, is such a great vehicle to explore mm-hmm. this world in. You know, I mean, I don't care about the true story aspect <laughs> of it because I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, how much of it's true, how much of it's a hoax. That's always you been know. a loose term. So. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's great to have that element of this movie to really discover this whole universe that he started to build. You know, after this film. So, and as always, Patrick Wilson is awesome. Vera Farmiga. Um, just these are super relatable characters and just great performances. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, ditto because this is actually my number three. Number three. You um, don't say, Christian. You, I don't say, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, for me, this hit every single trope I've been looking for. Um, even from the trailer, just starting from way, the trailer. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. From the trailer, I was like, this is something I kind of been waiting for in modern horror. Was like someone who would be able to capture the feel of like, I mean, you brought up like Amityville, like the original Amityville. like Classics. Kind of the classics there in a modern take. And that's what I got with this film. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes me come back to it and want to watch it over and over again. Just because it's, it's that well done. Um, I really, like for me, this was like, I feel like my favorite James Wan horror film. At this point. Yeah, you know, I, see, like for me too, a lot of times I cringe when like, oh, let's give it a modern take. And a lot, when that happens, you know, it feels like almost like, you know, a music video. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't the case here. Like tropes are tropes for a reason because they worked at some point. Um, and tropes aren't a bad thing. What James Wan does here is he takes those tropes and shows you why they originally worked mm-hmm. and why they became tropes in the first place. So, I mean, that's what's so impressive about this film. You know, I mean, there are certain scenes like you've seen a million times in other movies, but it's the way he shoots them that makes it work. So, I mean, I I, I want to go watch The Country now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do like a commentary one day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once again, maybe on Patreon. <laughs> All right, plug, plug, plug. All right, so since The Country was actually your next pick... We'll skip you and go to me. <laughs> uh, my number three pick was It Follows. Mom, is that you? No, it's me. Yara? Yeah. Don't open the door. See? Everything's okay. <laughs> A young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. 
Um, this is directed by David Robert Mitchell and written by David Robert Mitchell. Once again, this decade has been all about art house horror. And I feel like there's no better example than It Follows. I just love this horror movie. Um, once again, it does that thing where it puts you in the victim's shoes. Um, it comes up with this unique scenario uh, where it leaves you asking, what would I do? Um, it's this like sick, twisted game of tag that's going on. Um, that's just like not on, it's not just this like on the nose, like metaphor for STDs, which I mean, I think on the surface level, everyone sees, uh, but it's also like this wonderful, like coming of age, you know, movie, you know, for these characters. I guess I've never really thought of it that way. What? As a coming of age story. It Well, if you think about mm-hmm. it, I think it's all about like, you know, these children growing up into like, you know, becoming adults. Um, this film is beautiful. It's it's slick. It's stylish. Um, the cinematography and the score are just off the charts. Like I mean, just good. Like I I actually own the score um, on record. Uh, it really is just you know something that you can mm-hmm. like revisit. I think it's that start of like that almost like eighties like renaissance that's happened. Yeah, since there's been a lot of like composers who are like you know you know, go into their closet and dusting off their, like, you know, Casios, you know, and busting out these, like, new wave scores or synth wave scores, as your generation <laughs> would say. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, just everything clicked on every level for me. So, I mean, it's this wonderful, like, throwback of a film that's just just a true, like, experiment of, like, suspense. But, I mean, clever and it you know, gives you something that you haven't necessarily seen before. You know, I love films, once again, that, like, puts you in, like, you know, the protagonist's or victim's shoes, where you're just left, like, oh, my God, what the fuck would I do in this situation? Mm -hmm. How would I get out of this? Where it just leaves you on the edge of your seat. Okay. A billion dollars, but it is always following you. Uh, no. No? No. Fuck that. I want to be alive. (laughs) You can't spend the money if you're dead. True. But you could run fast enough, right? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that, Christian. No, it really was. Money's uh, not everything. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. No, it really was a very interesting film. And I thought, um, as you said, the cinematography was beautiful. I love the color in that movie. Yes. It it really is very 80s. I didn't really think about it at the time. Because it's really, it's shot, like, it's present day, Mm -hmm. but it's very much styled in that 80s, like that retro style, Mm -hmm. so. Number two. All right, for my number two, I have The Lighthouse. Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow. Triton, hark! Bellow, bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with punch and slime. To choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacled tail and steaming beard, take up his fell befinned arm 
His coral-tine trident screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet! Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. You jerk, you're just trying to rub it in that I haven't seen this <laughs> Making this your number two pick. What you an know asshole. What? But my 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 sentiments for it almost like are almost identical to what you said about the witch, which makes me feel like, oh, I need to see the witch even more now. Yeah, what the fuck's wrong with you? You haven't seen the witch yet. <laughs> it's so weird to me because it feels like it's in your wheelhouse too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go see the witch, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go see Lighthouse. No, what he, what Robert Eggers did with a black and white film is what you would imagine he would do with a black and white film. Like just the contrast of everything in this film is awesome Mm -hmm. you know um the concept of like you know this light in the lighthouse being a god in a sense like i'm not spoiling anything by saying that Mm -hmm. you know they really show like there's such a difference in contrast colors and everything for black and white (laughs) no i remember with that light i remember seeing the trailer and being like this is weird that black and white is like popping mm-hmm. so much on the screen. It's great cinematography. Yes, it, it's absolutely beautiful. But there are some thick ass accents in this movie. <laughs> uh, you really have to sit there, and I'm I kind of want to watch it again just with subtitles, just to make sure I caught every little detail. Oh, it's it's that thick. Huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. I gotcha. I've done that before in movies mm-hmm. where I've like had to put the subtitles on. Where the accents are just too much for me. So I, I get it. No, um, the I mean, for a film that's so simple with just literally three actors to it, William Defoe and Robert Pattinson do such a great job of showing, you know, themselves lose it completely. Like these two are so you can't trust them as people. You are watching them go through like. You don't know what's real. You don't know what's fake with them. Like, are they telling the truth? What's the true story behind their characters and such and such and such? It just keeps going back and forth, and you really watch them fall into pure madness. I th- I feel like this is one of the best representations of madness on a screen that I've seen. All right, and that's why I'm like so behind this. Like, this almost became number one if it wasn't for some of the great. <laughs> That uh, is on our number one pick. You know, it's you're this really rubbing really, it in again, Christian. You're really rubbing it in. It was really fucking well done, and as you said before, Robert Eggers is going to be a name that sticks with me going forward. Yeah, no, it's definitely a director that you're going to keep an mm-hmm. eye on. You know, for the rest of this, you know, next decade. So, um, well, I have nothing to add because I haven't seen the fucking movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely something worth seeing, and I wish you had seen it on the big screen, man. It was worth it. All right. Well, I'll be catching it soon. Um, Rubbing the dirt in. Yeah. Twisting the knife. All right. So on to my number two pick, Train to Busan.
While a zombie virus breaks out in South Korea, passengers struggle to survive on a train from Seoul to Busan. This is directed and written by Sang Ho Yan and co-written by Joe Sok Park. So I brought up his name before, but this carries on the great tradition of George Romero by interlacing thought-provoking social commentary about classism, parenthood, there's which have been themes in all of my picks, it seems like, um, but giving us this wonderful, unique stage of a fucking train. Um, something that, you know, he brought something different to the zombie genre that we haven't necessarily seen before. Uh, what proceeds is this this relentless, heart-pounding, claustrophobic ride into fucking terror. I mean, there's great action sequences. Um, you know, at the same time, there's just this heartfelt story about this father um, who's like coming into the realization that he hasn't been much of a father at all. And then realizing, you know, that he needs to sacrifice everything for his daughter. Uh, I just love this film. Um, it was a surprise. I think I caught it on Netflix um, just last year. And I mean, I've watched it multiple times since then. Uh, I know they just announced a sequel and I can't wait for that. I, I cannot recommend this movie any like higher. So this was actually almost my number one pick. But, you know, we'll get to why it wasn't in a little <laughs> bit. But I, I mean, it... You know, the zombie subgenre lately has been so, like, I don't know. It, it's been lackluster just mm -hmm. because I feel like everyone's kind of, you know, scared to tackle, you know, the genre because of The Walking Dead, you know. And they, you know, did such a great job that first, like, four seasons. I feel like this film will really help, like, breathe, like, new life into the subgenre. So yeah, like you said, I had I haven't seen this film. It's one of those films I keep like I scroll right past every time. I'm like, oh yeah, train to train to Busan. Yeah, good. Well, I hope I brought it in. <laughs> so it's on your fucking uh, queue. Yeah, I I don't know why I just never sat down and watched it. Yet. <laughs> Watch the movie, Chris. I know it's something I definitely think I'll enjoy at least before the sequel comes out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're a huge action like movie fan. And this movie is so creative with its action sequences. You know, I think you would at least enjoy it on that level. Number one. All right, so Damon, miraculously, it's both our number ones, which it really shouldn't be surprising because it's such a great film. Uh, Hereditary. Why are you scared of me? What? I never wanted to be your mother. Why? I was scared. I didn't feel like a mother. But she pressured me. Then why did you have me? It wasn't my fault. I tried to stop it. How? I tried to have a miscarriage. How? However I could, I did everything they told me not to do, but it didn't work. I'm happy it didn't work. 
You tried to kill me. I love you. Why did you try to kill me? Why did you try to kill me? A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. You can say that again. A grieving family... I'm sorry. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) It's light people. Yes. All right. This film stands out because of one name and one name alone. Ari Aster. Yes. Yes. We've got... My God. Yes. We've got quite a roster (laughs) of, like, filmmakers going into, like, 2020. I mean, really. I mean, it's... I mean... I don't remember a time where we've had, I mean, well, I guess early 80s, but Mm -hmm. like it's been a while (laughs) since we've had this many great like filmmakers in the horror genre. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, He has really stepped it up. I mean, this plus Midsummer have been both great films. Um, Midsummer didn't make my list for many reasons. It just, I, I don't think it was at the same level as Hereditary, but Hereditary just is such a punch. In horror, in general, I, I just—it's a punch in the fucking nuts. Is what it is. I—I <laughs> um, I haven't had something that really stood out and made me feel something while I'm watching a horror film to this degree. It since I was a kid, you know, it's. It, it, it really took me like a couple weeks to recover mm-hmm. from watching this movie. <laughs> I, I'm being dead serious. It really, it, it like sticks with you. It's fucking haunting. It really is. Ari Aster built this film in a, such a unique way where it's like, not only are you watching this grieving family, but you're seeing these very unique imagery um, throughout the entire film. Like one of, one of my favorite parts about um, in general was like the mom and how she like is creating this house um, full of like grief over her own mom and everything. It's like this kind of like miniature house place that, and you kind of are like seeing you know, what the past before was and everything, and, like, how they interacted with the mother and everything. Her mother, their grandmother of the family. It's a great storytelling mm-hmm. technique, and he actually echoes that in Midsummer when, yes. like, in the very opening scene <laughs> with, with the mural that we see. Mm-hmm. And you get the kind of same vibe, you know, with the opening of Hereditary mm-hmm. and, you know, her putting together, you know, that miniature. So I, I definitely agree. I mean, he's such a great storyteller, I, for me, it was all about the way he framed a lot of his shots where he kind of plays on, like, you know, horror movie fans' expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, you know, leaving so much open space, you know, where, like, we've been kind of conditioned to, like, you know, okay, what the fuck is going to happen in this open... Like, we know now, okay, if there's this much space behind a character, something's going to fucking pop up. Mm. You know, he fucks with you in that way where he has a, a scene framed that way where you're kind of like feeling tension and dread just kind of forming just from this space here, you know, or just playing with shadows and everything like that. His lighting is fucking crazy. Um, just uh, he makes so many bold choices mm. and really like, you know, this movie, it, it's a family drama. If you think about it, it's all about this family and like going through grief um, and how it just eats the family alive. Um, Everything that you're seeing in this movie, you've seen elements in other horror movies. Um, And it's kind of like that with Midsummer. Um, But what he does is he's taking the material so seriously and he's injecting like doses of 
just almost like real life, like real life mm. drama into it. Um, that I don't know, man. I, I, I just, like I said, this movie stayed with me. And this film is constantly like escalating, mm-hmm. you know, until it hits like the very final scene um, and just completely crescendos and, you know, all shit hits the fan. So, I mean, God, man. I, and Toni Collette. Yes. The fact that she wasn't nominated for a fucking Oscar is a crime. <laughs> it's <That's> atrocious. Absolutely <laughs> a crime. It really doesn't make... I mean, that scene after, you know, her her daughter dies, where she's just on the ground screaming, like, you just feel so much for her at that point. Um, you know, and that, that whole vibe lasts the entire... Mm-hmm film the grief is so thick in this film it, it's just my god this movie <laughs> <laughs> no and that's what makes it stand out is it's grief that you can feel it's not like it's not super hollywood it's very much you know real and gritty and harsh yeah <laughs> no for me it was an instant classic mm-hmm. it really was i remember like after seeing the film a couple of days later talking to a friend and you know telling them like as a horror movie fan, it was probably one of my favorite like movie going experiences because like the audience was just you could tell like there was just air of like just you know like almost the air was just let out of the mm-hmm. room with that final scene where people just didn't know how to like process what they were seeing. Um, you know, I it just it, it, like it just man it fucked with me. For like the I was having horrible fucking nightmares. It was awful. Like, but it was like a movie that was is just truly like memorable. I bought it on Blu-ray and like I <laughs> it like sat on my fucking TV stand for months mm-hmm. before I could like bring myself to watch it again. Like it was like literally taunting me. Mm-hmm. So just I was like, I have to be in the right mindset for this. <laughs> this this might like ruin a couple days for me. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about the movie, but I just loved it. Um, I really did. So. No, yeah, he's definitely a director that we are definitely going to be paying attention to. I do need to still see his director's cut for Midsummer. I want to see, you know, if it, if my opinion of it changes at all. Because I was I was a bit harsher, I would say, than you were on the film. Yes, yes. But you still enjoyed it I still overall. enjoyed it overall. But yeah, yeah, I guess it's like 45 minutes longer. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that movie's already long, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I can't imagine what that's like. But for some reason, of course, it was released on the Blu-ray. So I'm sure they'll do, like, in a year or two, they'll probably do, like, another special, special edition of the film. So exactly. I'll get it, of course, because I'm a sucker like that. <laughs> but I'm interested to see what he, you know, also had in mind, you know, and, like, kind of getting a better idea of, like, what kind of artist he is, like, through interviews and stuff like that. I'm sure it was, like, painful to have to cut that much of the film. Um, so I can't even imagine what that's, that that whole body of work would look like. No, I absolutely agree. So if you liked what you heard, uh, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon, which is coming sometime in the future. Yes, right? we'll make a huge announcement, don't uh, we? For me, a couple honorable mentions. Uh, Black Swan, Bone Tomahawk. Christian, do you have any? Um, I know Evil Dead, the remake, was one. Oh, yeah, that was definitely I really enjoyed how it was filmed. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, like I think we both talked about enough with our number one pick, but Midsummer. Uh, yeah, no, uh, all great movies, definitely check them out. Yes. 
Before we go, we want you to check out BigHeadMedia.com, filled with hundreds of awesome podcasts for you to check out. Uh, you can also find us on DramaCityProductions.com, which has plenty of great podcasts there as well. That's right. And then you can go ahead and follow us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And make sure to go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. All right. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we are your nerd hub for pop culture. And if you're looking to support the podcast, you can find some nerd merch over on ProWrestlingTees.com and TeePublic. That's right. Get your nerd swag on. Right now, you're listening to Greg Bremner, our house DJ. And at the beginning of the show, you heard Them Guilty Aces. A great rockabilly band from the Chicagoland area. All right, my name's Christian. My name's Damon. And that's the amazing Nerd Show. Engines now online. Running diagnostics check for any additional system errors before next launch. Incoming, incoming. Radar detecting large-scale ships entering through hyperspace. We're so fucked. <laughs>